Oh. I hear you loud and clear. I okay. got you on speaker. That's oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that's fine. You you sound fine. Let me put my microphone down where I can hear myself and make sure my level's right. Oh, you're standing outside? Yeah, it's it's uh it's uh pour- just quieter out here. Yeah, it's pouring rain here in Los Angeles, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it has been for a couple yeah, that's days. Weird. Yeah. Fog didn't lift all day yesterday, which is weird for here. Mm. And it's foggy again. This freezing fog too, I might add. Oh God. I hate hate freezing fog. <laughs> the worst weather. Yeah, it's worse than rain or snow. It just kind of gets in your bones. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed Whitley Strieber a couple of weeks ago and I got a whole bunch of notes for that. Oh Whitley. Man, I've been listening to that guy since the late nineties on Coast to Coast AM. I miss on Bill. Yeah, God, he had a voice for radio, didn't he? He totally yeah, did. I was just I, I was just enthralled every time he was on. If someone had told me back in the nineties that I was gonna be on Coast to Coast AM, I would have fell over laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know what? You never, yeah. unless you, unless you're a complete dork, you never aim to be on the show. You just kind of do your thing, and then suddenly somebody calls you. I mean, I think, think that's how anything decent in life works. It seems like it. Yeah. All right. What I'm going to do is read the uh, uh, hype off the back of your book because that's the only um, bio I have for you. If you want to add to it, you go right ahead. And the other thing is, um, okay, go ahead. I don't know if you listen to this show, but um, the show is like a conversation. So you don't have to do, you know, a question and answer. If there's something you want to go off and do, even if you think it's irrelevant, like golf, I think <laughs> um, Dave told me you like golf. Oh, yeah. I live on nine acres. We've got barns and trees and stuff. So almost probably it's a rare day when I don't hit a golf ball, put it that way. And then I volunteered out at the local golf course. So that gets me down there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I went nuts for a while, and then I couldn't find anybody to play. Now it's just like a kind of an excuse to hang out with uh, this friend of mine, and we just we just, actually what we do is we talk shit about UFO people and stuff for two or three hours while we play. <laughs> so that's 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 my. Uh, well, I know Dave Lovin sure likes you. Just so you know. Yeah, I think he's been listening to the show for a while, and I did meet you at uh, Congress. You were at the Congress. Yeah, I came up to your table when you were sitting all by yourself, and I thought, wow, nobody's talking to Kevin Day. And I talked to you for about 20 minutes. Then while we were in the bar, and I said, so have you thought about doing the interviews? You said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> but I don't think I gave you a card or anything. Yeah, I remember now. Kevin Day is a 21-year Navy veteran. Serving his entire career in San Diego and Hawaii, he completed eight Western Pacific deployments and visited many of the countries that touched the sea between the West Coast of the United States and the Middle East. Retired from active duty in November 2007, he works as a systems engineer from his home in Phoenix, which I guess you don't live in Arizona anymore, pursuing a Master of Science degree in systems engineering and writes short stories in his spare time, like in this book that I'm reading hype off the back of, uh, Sailor's Anthology. No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. 
I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, all conditioned here? Yes. in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Hi, Kevin. Hello there. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. How many shows have you done up to this point? Like 30, 40, something like that? Oh, oh God. You know, I, I did a like a little media wall the other day, um, and I went back and I tried to collect all the links and everything, news articles and shows and TV yeah. appearances and all that stuff, and I was astonished how busy I've been. I'll send that to you. You can look at it. it it's kind of like a... Um, it's a PDF document that's hyperlinked to all the different spots. Oh, wow. Oh. I've made interviews, yeah. Yeah. And there's quite a few of them. In uh, fact, next week I'm going to Ohio to do yet another cable show, and I can't say who or nothing, but I'm going there and we're doing an episode, filming an episode for um, what's actually a production company for a cable show, but mm-hmm. I'll yeah, be in Ohio for two nights this week, next week. Yeah, they send you all over the place when you've, you know, when uh, you're hot or you got something to say or, you know, it's it's a good story. And this this is certainly a great story. As I said, when we met each other at UFO Congress, um, mostly I'm interested personally, and this is my show, in um, uh, how, what happened to the person, not necessarily the, the facts of the case, but we will go over that. Um, but uh, maybe for a little background uh I wanted to ask how you decided to go into the Navy, and did you have a specific career track that that led you to where you were on the Princeton in uh, uh, November of 2004? Sure. You know, right after high school, I was an exchange student to Australia. Hmm. Um, After I had graduated, I actually went back to Australia and went back to high school for a summer. It was their winter, our summer. And I got the travel bug really bad out of that whole Hmm. deal. I hope this does Please leave your message for five. Four. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I continue to be plagued by technology problems, and I'm not sure why either. 
Hmm. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be something. Even my car computer. Hmm? My car computer. I wouldn't have to get a brand new car computer. Yeah. Want, I'm, I'm on my third laptop. This my is. Third laptop. Yeah. This is a problem with people that have this uh, thing happen in their life. Often it starts, uh, technology starts going wacky around them. Yeah, and wow, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I've... I've but it, it's true. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed other people where it's happened. Not, not during interviews, though. This is the most severe one ever. <laughs> um, what we can do is we can continue, and if we get cut off again, I mean, uh, until your patience gets worn out, I'm fine. <laughs> okay, I'm still good to go. You want me to continue my scene setter? Yeah, yeah. You were you were saying the, where you got cut off was uh, you were exchange student in Australia, and you said I got the travel bug real bad, and then you then you cut out. So go ahead from there, please. Man, we missed a whole bunch. Then, damn it. Okay, so <laughs> and it was great radio too. Dang it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just joking. That's okay. Yeah, and uh, after high school, I graduated. I went to all, up in Albany, Oregon, West Albany High School, graduated, and I was selected to be an exchange student. I went to Australia. It was our summer, their winter, and I became a high school student again in Australia for about three months. And out of that whole experience, I, I, I got the travel bug really bad. <laughs> oh, dear. You cut off exactly at the same point that you cut off before when you said, I got the travel bug really bad. It went. That's exactly the same point it happened the last time. <laughs> I'm going to try it with a mic'd phone just to see if it has something to do with the Skype. And if it doesn't do it here, then I don't know what to do. And I don't, I'm sorry to waste your time. It's just it, uh, I don't know how to control what's going on. I have to use your wife. This is weird. Yeah. Something... Somebody doesn't want us to talk. <laughs> you want to postpone this till later? We get this figured out. Yeah, well, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit and just to see if the thing uh, cuts out. I mean, I guess we can postpone it. It's not. It's not a big deal. I don't want to waste your time. So, well, um, oh, yeah. as an alternate, you could send me written questions, and I could spot, I could always respond that way too. Yeah. Or in addition to the in addition to live talk. Yeah, well, it is. It, it the the show is basically um, talk. So I don't I don't think I want to post the the questions. I'd rather just talk to you. Um, uh, try it one more time, and if it says travel bug, if you if you get cut off at travel bug again, then um, we'll schedule it for another time and see if there's less um, problems with the phone. Okay. Let's press. Okay. Press on. Yeah. So you were you said that you were in Australia, you came back, but then you had the travel bug real bad right after that. Yeah, when I got back to the United States from Australia, I had gotten a travel bug really bad, and not coming from a really wealthy family or anything, and also being real patriotic, always loved my country. I decided to join the Navy, go see the world, and serve my country. And went to boot camp and ended up getting selected for Operation Specialist. Um, rating, which is basically the radar guy inside combat information center on the ships where we basically fight the ship from. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing pretty well in school. I was able to have first choice of orders out of the, out of three graduating classes. And I chose the latest and greatest ship that was on the block at the time. It was a USS Vincennes out of San Diego. 
um, and the year now was 1986, 87, and um, it was the first Aegis Ticonderoga type uh, ship on the West Coast. And I, I really loved it. I really loved the platform, and I ended up doing uh, two more ships after that, just like it, the Princeton and the Chosin. And when this encounter happened in 2004 off the coast of San Diego, I had right around 18 years of sea time on that type of ship. Mm. You know, countless hours watching this by watching this by one radar, count, countless hours watching the skies over San Diego. And that kind of brings us up to 2004. Now, you got to remember, Greg, in 2004, the war was still going on pretty hot and heavy. And Nimitz Strike Group had received orders to deploy a little bit early. We're off the coast doing training. And on around the 10th of November, I was up on watch, and I noticed these really strange tracks off the coast of Catalina Island, which was to the north of us about 100 miles or so. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. It's working. Amazing. Okay, good. And then uh, the reason why I say they're weird is because I think there was like a five of them at the time, and they were in a loose uh, formation, and they were tracking to the south, and they're at 28,000 feet going 100 knots, which was really strange because I, I had never seen anything fly that high that slow because normally you'd fall out of the sky. Yeah, you can't go we that slow really at that concerned. high and, and, not, and stay airborne. Yeah, it doesn't, there's no way to create lift. Yeah. So we weren't really concerned about them um, in terms of our defense because we're off the coast of San Diego for one. And two, it could have been something entirely civilian related. Um, They didn't even know we were down there. Mm -hmm. It was just something that we were curious at. In fact, we were so curious, we suspected a system malfunction. So we brought down our system, ran a bunch of diagnostic tests and brought our whole system back up. And lo and behold, the contacts were even stronger radar returns than they were before. Mm. So we continued to track them. There were several groups over several days, uh, various times. Um, they all came into my radar search volume um, off the coast of Catalina Island, and they all disappeared off my radar right in the vicinity of Guadalupe Island off the coast of Baja, Cal- uh, Baja Mexico. Yeah. Now, the 14th of November rolls around, and we were, had planned to do an air defense exercise where we're going to launch a bunch of good guys, notional good guys off the Nimitz, and a bunch of notional bad guys off the beach. And we're going to fill this guy with airplanes and basically try to kill each other. Mm-hmm. It was real high, real, 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 real high realistic type training. Yeah. Of course, no weapons or nothing. It was all training environment. That's when, Greg, I became concerned about these objects because all, all of a sudden these objects were right in my airspace. And I was very concerned about safety of flight issues. Right. So Captain Smith comes down to combat. And I said, hey, sir, you know, we've been tracking these things and we've ran diagnostics are real. But no one in our strike group knows what the hell they are, and we're getting ready to launch a bunch of aircraft in that same piece of sky, and I recommend that we we intercept one and see what this thing is. Right. He said, you know what, sir? You're right. Pick one and intercept it. And So we did. We uh, picked the closest one, and Commander Fravor's flight happened to be airborne. It was uh, call sign was Fast Eagle at the time. We vectored him on, towards the, the closest contact, and... Uh, as soon as he got to the merge plot position, was, which is basically two objects in the sky in the same vertical piece of sky, and on a two-dimensional display, it looks like one object now. Yeah. And we had, we had his voice in the radio in the overhead, in the overhead speaker, and all of a sudden on the radio we hear, Oh my God, oh my God, I'm engaged, I'm engaged. Just basically pooping his pants, right? And <laughs> on, 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 our, on, our, on our consoles, we, we see this object that he had intercepted. It went from 28,000 feet down to the surface of the water in less than a second. 
No right. sonic booms, no nothing. Just dropped out of the sky down to the surface of the water and hover, hovered down there. And so he, Commander Fravor goes chasing it down, and uh, he reports a disturbance in the water. At first we thought it may have been a downed aircraft. Turns out it wasn't. And this thing, object, whatever it was, turned turned with him and kind of came in, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, like a little dogfight with him. And then all of a sudden this object just took off. In the blink of an eye, it was gone. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is it ended, it went right back to his combat air patrol station, which is just a um, a uh, socialized point in the sky where the air crews kind of hang out until they get tasking. Right, and if they just fly no circles or something. Yeah, there's no way that object should have known where that was, but he that object went right to his cap station. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was convinced personally that we were watching something... Um, I don't even know how to say it. You know, I, 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 you'll never hear me say I believe these things were aliens or otherwise. I Right now, Greg, just so you know, I have a completely open mind about what these things were because my whole ID, my whole job in the in the Navy was to ID stuff that flew. Right. And I'm still trying to make, I'm still trying to make that ID, right? I'm, <laughs> all these years later, I still want to make I want to make that identification still. So for me to go out on a limb and say I think they were aliens, you know, now I have to defend that and I just can't do that. Without, I don't have the evidence. Right. So that's kind of a scene center how this whole thing happened. Um, you know, I raised, I, and well, here's here's where the story actually starts to get a little thicker. After this whole thing was over, um, I became really, really frustrated because um, the upper chain of command, frankly, didn't seem to give a shit. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just didn't understand it. I was like, how come no one? What? Yeah. What do you mean? I, I couldn't, maybe it was uh, too shocky. I, I just don't know what. So the next morning I was going to, I went up to combat. I was going to write an after action report and I was going to at least present it to the captain to see if he would release it. I didn't know if he would or not. And I went up to where we record all of our external communications onto optical disc and all of my communications data was gone. It was all missing for that whole period. Yeah. And the, you know, the whole point behind that system is to, is for situations just like this, where you have to go back and do an investigation and find out what happened. Right. Yeah, but it was all gone. Hmm. So uh, the the captain seemed like he, I don't know, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he just didn't seem that interested in it, and it was just really weird. So I kind of threw up my hands on the idea of writing the message, and I forgot about it um, in terms of um, reporting it on a message. Right. You know, I continue to talk about it. Absolutely, no one would would. Bl- there it goes. Well, we yeah, got- this is ter- starting to turn painful, huh? Yeah, it got you got a little further. Let's try one more time. If it cuts off again, then I guess we can try later or another time and see if. Have you had this problem before using your phone for interviews? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is a brand new phone, and I hope I was hoping it would solve it, but apparently it's not. So, and I'm not—I don't, I don't know if I'm wife on the Wi-Fi call right now, or actually have a cell connection. I can't see it well enough. Oh, anyway, okay. We'll, let's, try, let's try to press and see. At least we can get part of it done, right? Yeah, and we we can uh, we can uh, take up where we left off when you have more time, and maybe uh, you know the phone's working a little better. Um, so yeah, please go ahead. You said that you were, wanted to make a, a, a separate report and the, uh, captain didn't seem, or at least the chain of command didn't seem very interested in such a thing. 
Yeah, the chain of command didn't seem interested. They, I think they were entirely baffled by the whole thing. And um, it's still a mystery to me why there was no interest expressed, really. Um, anyway, when we got back to port, this exercise turned out to be my last underway in the Navy in uniform, and it turned out also to be my last real-world intercept in the Navy, just as an old, by the way. Mm-hmm. We got back to San Diego, and I, I immediately transferred to my last command, uh, uh, Commander Naval Air uh, Pacific, uh, out of Coronado, California. And I, I, tried, I still tried to talk about this, but no one wanted to listen to me. And I served three years there, and I got out of the Navy, and I started to have just my concerns for safety of flight. And I was concerned, hey, you know, what if the same thing happened off the coast of a belligerent country when I really did have missiles on the plane? Yeah. Damn, something like this could start a war, you know? And I was, like, really concerned about it. And my concerns, for whatever reason, started to manifest into really bad nightmares. Mm. And I didn't... I wasn't, you know, we all have nightmares. I wasn't really, they didn't concern me, but remembering them the next day did because it kind of brought back some memories from some more other unpleasant experience I had while in the Navy. And not knowing what else to do, Greg, I wrote a short story called The Seer um, that would fictionalize this whole thing. And I decided to write some other short stories. I put it in a book and I published it in the Library of Congress in early 2009. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason why I did that, Greg, was just in case a story ever became public, my little story would um, help to provide some contemporaneous evidence that this thing really did happen. Right. And it, and it has happened. My, mm-hmm. my my book my book is now evidence. <laughs> I mean, unless I have a time machine, I can go back in time, <laughs> which I don't. Uh, so this kind of kind of brings us up. Um, how my book came into being and mm-hmm. kind of the background on the thing. And oh, by the way, um, Alejandro Rojas, a friend of mine, he yeah. found my book and he he said, "Kevin, you're putting together this expedition off the coast of California, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, how about if I how about if I publish your book for you and put it on Amazon and we can use the sale proceeds to help fund the expedition?" I said, "Hell yeah, let's do that." You know, because Greg, I didn't write, ever write this book to make money, man. It's just not why I wrote it, not at all. Yeah. And and that was my so I'm not taking a penny from the online sales. Every penny is going to our expedition, which I can talk about now if you if you want to hear about it. Yeah, sure. I wanted to talk about it with you and uh, I talked to Deep Prasad about it a little bit the other day, so he told me a bit about what was going on, but I wanted to get your perspective since you're basically the CEO of the of the uh expedition. Maybe yeah, you could describe what it is and um how it came about and uh what you hope to accomplish, and maybe your methodology, if you want, if you can talk about that. You got it. Um, I ended up back in my hometown in Cape Junction, Oregon, um, during the interim period of years. I finished school in uh, Sacramento in 2013, got my master's degree in education. I changed um, from engineering to education. Mm-hmm. And I ended up back at home, and uh, once I was here, you know, I – I had a lot of free time, so I started to volunteer down at the local golf course because I heard it was going into bankruptcy, and I was like, I can't, I can't let that happen. No. <laughs> and so I started going down there, and I, I um, had actually just reopened the kitchen, and I was carrying out a plate of food to one of the customers. We didn't have a waiter yet, so I was serving in that role. And the story broke on the TV. For some reason, normally we have the golf channel on, but for whatever reason this day, the news was on. And all of a sudden, that 
Tic Tac video and Commander Fravor's on, um, I forget what news station it was. And you know what, Greg, I dropped the plate of food. I was so shocked because <laughs> I had basically forgotten all about this whole thing um, that happened all those years ago, you know? And, I, and so I went home and I got on, I was like, okay, I got to look into this. And so I got on YouTube and I found a YouTube video that Robert Powell had done He's right. from the Scientific Coalition of Ufology. Yeah. So I dropped a comment on it. I said, hey, Robert, you need to contact me because I was there, you know, and he did. And through that whole thing, I ended up joining a group on Facebook called ATIP, just like the um, Pentagon program. Yeah. And one thing led to another, and the result of all of this is a bunch of us got together, um, some former, some of my former shipmates from the Princeton and also some other key players that I met through Facebook, and we formed an organization, a nonprofit. It's called UAP Expeditions, and our plan is to rent two research vessels in December of 2020, and we're going to go back out to Southern California off the coast. We're going to anchor one of the ships, keep one underway, and we are going to refine these objects. Now, the reason why there's interest in this is because just as not just any crew here, I've got some very top-notch, um, well-respected academic and research scientists. So we're going to load the boat. I'm not going to drop any names right now because I'll end up missing somebody and they'll get mad at me. So I just won't say any names. It, it's available online. I think people have a general <laughs> idea of who's going. Yeah, and uh, the other part of this thing is we're taking a bunch of new technologies with us because the whole idea is, okay, let's say that we go out there and we're successful and we see something in the sky. Well, our whole our whole purpose for doing this is to, to, to collect reliable, irrefutable data. So we've got all these smart people on the ship observing it, and we've got a, bit, a bunch of technology that we're going to capture data in multiple um, modalities. And then we're going to give all that data over to the SCU mm -hmm. for them to really take a hard look at. And that's right. kind of the that's kind of the plan, and um, it's really taken off. I can't believe how this idea has taken off. We've got backing from Silicon Valley, and we haven't actually um, fundraised a penny yet, but we're still getting that all put together. Right. And I, I do. I have every. I have every belief that'll happen because you know we're all volunteer. Mm -hmm. So our only real costs are mostly logistical in nature. Right. So although it sounds like it's going to be real expensive, it shouldn't be that bad. Especially no. with the whole world helping us out, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was talking to, uh, th this brings up a whole lot of questions um, uh, that I wanted to ask you. Your your story, The Seer, has to do with, um, I guess that's supposed to be a fictionalized account of you, right? Yeah, it's a fictionalized account of the whole uh, encounters, Tic Tac encounters. In fact, in the Sierra, I actually called them Tic Tacs. You know, oh, that's right. That's right. You did. That, the world, yeah, the world didn't even know that word, and you know, except for as a candy until just recently. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's really, really hard to refute the legitimacy of my, my book because, I mean, it, it was published in the Library of Congress, and if you read it, um, you will see that although it's fictionalized, it's it's unmistakable to the actual incident that happened. Yes, exactly. There is a yeah. uh, um, component of the book where you have a couple scientists um, trying to evade um, uh, detection and coming out and talking to you or the character and something about um, some sort of abilities, which was why you were there and they wanted to talk to you. Is that How close is that to what actually happened? 
strangely, well, it was totally fictional when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. But strangely enough, that exact thing has happened since. <laughs> it happened I after you wrote it. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, in 2015, I was befriended by a couple gentlemen. Um, it, when I met them, it seemed happenstance because I had ended up at a, a family mining claim and I spent a summer out on the mining claim trying to um, find a mother load of gold from the 1930s, which I did. It's a whole other story. Can't ever mine it because it's in the wilderness, which is, I don't, no one wants to mine it because it's in the wilderness. But anyway, they, I, I met him through a friend. I was out of his house and they were there. And they, they showed up at my house the next day. And their cover story was they were from the government and they'd seen my mining research online. And they were interested in how, um, how rugged the place was because they wanted to train special forces down there. Being a patriotic kind of guy and, um, a strong proponent of our national security apparatus. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take you down there. So we ended up taking them down there. And that was their cover story. I only found out later. Um, I found out um, when Lou Elizondo was at my house last summer, mm -hmm. he confided in me that their real purpose was actually because of the Tic Tacs. We get a little bit longer of a taste each time. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's try one more, and if it doesn't work, um, we can reschedule or do it later today or something like that if you if that's okay. I'd rather just keep pressing and get her done. Okay. Well, go Let ahead try, then. You know? Yeah, you said you were uh, that okay, um, Lou had come out and was um, t telling you the real reason they were out there uh, instead of um, using it for a training area uh, on your property. Yeah, it, it turns out that they their real purpose um, was in regard to the Tic Tac encounter. And Greg, I don't know this for certain, but I think their purpose was to basically gauge my mental state, if you will, to see how useful I was going to become when the story did break because of some of the hits that they left me. They didn't, they didn't ever tell me their true purpose. But right before Shakate left, that's the name he went by, he looks at me in the eye and he's kind of teared up a little. He was very emotional. He said, Kevin, you are incredibly important to what's about to happen. And dude, Greg, I have to tell you, I thought he was friggin' nuts. I, I didn't know what to think, and I just kind of brushed it off as more weird, and I never saw the guys again. Mm -hmm. um, so putting all this together now... That's why I don't hesitate speaking out because, in my mind at least, I was actually given permission to speak out back in 2015. Okay. Oh, what, in what, a weird kind of way, I admit. So that's why when I had the opportunity to speak, I did. I felt confident that I was doing the right thing and that I had to do it, and I had the blessings of the government. So you, the, the two guys that came out there with Lou, or was he later? No, he was much later. He just he he knew him through the intel world. Oh, okay, okay. He told me they exchanged emails and stuff and he did he wouldn't go he wouldn't explain anything beyond that about him i yeah. tried to ask him but he just wouldn't clammed up about it mm. so it's kind of my um experience and i kind of lost my train of thought where i was going with all that well i Maybe asked you, you um how close the uh narrative in the book was and you said well it actually came true after you wrote it which is kind of amazing and the point in the uh a very key point in the story is that they thought, and you said the guy teared up and all that. And I, what I remember from the story in my notes is that they said that you were there because you had to be, because somehow 
the whatever that was was uh, in the sky there was became a reality because you and other people like you were around that play around there at the time. If that's an accurate assessment, maybe you could explain what you meant by what that means. You know, that, that entire story is completely fictional. None of, none of it, um, except for the, the basic, um, facts in it are, or, or accurate is, is highly fictionalized. Okay. And the reason why I did that was so I could protect people still serving in uniform mm. and also come up with some type of plausible understanding or theory with what the hell we had encountered. I just didn't know. Uh, at this point, I was convinced there were definitely UFOs. But beyond that, I, I just, um, it was a huge mystery. And I just put a fictional story together to kind of explain it. And I really encourage people to read the story. It's a pretty quick read, and it's actually pretty fascinating. Yes, I read it and a few other stories in the book and the, and the poem about the Vincennes, which was like, oh, I didn't realize you were there during the that shoot down in 1988, which was kind of amazing. Um, yeah, that was my first appointment. Um, I had absolutely nothing to do with my first appointment. I was really junior, but I was in combat when we shot down the Airbus. And I spent, just so you know, I spent the rest of my career teaching other people how not to shoot down Airbuses. That, that, was, my, that, was, that was my thing. And then... My last deployment ended up, um, I ended up intercepting UFOs. So yeah, I, the bookends of my career are kind of fascinating. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, well, what you said in the book, and I don't know if this is just a, a uh, and it fascinated me too, was it's not, you, you described your presence as, or at least the presence of somebody there is uh, having to do with bringing possibilities into existence from an indeterminate state to a real one. Is that something that's actually going on or somebody's interested in, or is that just a story thing you have in there as a theory that you were thinking of? Well, at the time it was a theory. Uh-huh. It's since turned out to be true, and I'll explain that in a minute. Okay. But it's basically the storyline in the fi- Crazy. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. This is becoming kind of crazy. Yeah, let's try this again later. By for one reason, my little dog just ran out towards the road. I got to go fetch him, which is going to take a minute because it's across it's across the paddock. So, yeah. man, you sound so much better. So let's do this. Okay, <laughs> let's let's rock. All right. Well, where we left? Did you manage? I posted our, my interview with Deep. Um, I listened to part of it, but then I got interrupted, and I'm yeah, going to go back no. and uh, listen to the rest of it. So we'll probably repeat some of the stuff, uh, especially with the uh, expedition stuff, but I don't care. Um, I listened to it again, so we don't try not to repeat too much. And obviously, you're going to have a different, little different point of view than he does. But where we right. left off was I was asking about how much of the uh, fictional account in The Seer was uh, related to what had happened to you. And you said, well, basically, it's just the what happened on the, on the, uh, out at sea. And everything after that is kind of a fictionalized, but you said some of it had actually started happening and come true, like the two guys coming to visit you. And then you said they talked to Lou, uh, Lou Elizondo, and then Lou came out after he talked to them. And that's where we left off. Yeah. And, um, man, it was just, it's such an amazing thing. These guys came and, uh, the stuff they told me just at the time, and I was just like, what in the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> You know, and I just kind of played along, even though my cousin and I both knew their story. There was, there was something else going on. Yeah. And well, what, I was can so you glad that Lou? 
I was so glad that Lou was able to confirm for me later that, um, Kevin, they came to see you about Tic Tac, essentially. And they, what kind of stuff did they ask you or tell you? Can you talk about it or no? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They told me, um, they seemed to know that I had developed some weird abilities for some reason. I don't know how they knew that. Mm -hmm. But what I tell you, Greg, what I, what I think about a lot tends to happen now. And I'm not sure why I talked to Linda Moulton Howe about it. And she says, well, you, you're a manifester. I said, I'm a what? <laughs> but it, it's, it's happened so often now that it's just undeniable to me. Yeah. Some people do it, it really naturally. And, I, and, I, and I'll give you some examples about it. Well, this all happened post encounter, you know? Right. Exactly. That's I, the, one of the reasons I yeah, want to talk to you. Yeah. I went, I, I was really disturbed by what happened at sea because the upper chain of command didn't seem to care. It's like, so for some reason they had been all dumbed down and no one seemed to be interested. And I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> I couldn't understand it. I never could understand it. And so I retired and no one would listen to me. And um, my concerns started to manifest into nightmares because, Greg, what if what happened off the coast of San Diego happened off a belligerent country and I really did have missiles? Right. And the UFO goes zorching back up in outer space, and uh, she uh, shoots a sidewinder at it because she thinks she's in danger. And the sidewinder uh, uh, loses lock on the UFO, and it gains lock on a, say, commercial airliner or yes. a, their yeah. military aircraft or our military aircraft. Jesus, man, could, a war could start. Right. You know, yeah, accidentally, one that no one wants. Mm-hmm. No one even knows why, you know? Right. And my other concern was safety of flight. So no one listened to me, and I kind of just got so frustrated I didn't know what to do. So I wrote The Seer, which was a fictionalized account of this encounter, but it's close enough to what actually happened where if you read it, it's undeniable. I mean, it's the same event. And I didn't know, and I still don't know what these objects were, so I just made up a story, basically. Right. Um, and, and so I published it in Library of Congress, and you know the rest is history. This things broke out now, and now my book's evidence. But some of the things I wrote about in that story have come true. It's weird, man. Like the guys coming in to visit me, and the ability that I seem to have now, where I can manifest stuff. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I know it, it's hard to even talk about because it's so freaking unbelievable, you know. But I can't deny it now. For example, like my cousin and I, we ended up back in the wilderness. I don't know if he sent, I sent you my, did I send you my research yet on the mm-hmm. mining claim and stuff? No, no. You talked about it when we talked at um, UFO Congress, but uh, I wanted you to go into a little bit more detail about it. What, yeah, what, wanna, how it manifested that that was going on in your life after the, after uh, Tic Tac. Well, it's like with uh, Diane Tassolko. She's an uh, American cosmic author. I don't know if you know her. She's not. a friend of mine. Yeah, and uh, I read her book, and I that's when all the, the parts of this really came together for me. Hmm. I said, that's me. This thing changed me somehow, and I'm a different person now. And when I was going through it, Greg, I didn't know what the fuck was wrong with me, man. I, I, I went to see the VA. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They gave me uh, an assignment for PTSD. They didn't know what else to call it. Yeah. And I never told them about the UFO encounter because I didn't connect it to Right. I just thought I was having trouble, you know, like mm-hmm. trouble transitioning back to civilian life. So I ended up, when I first retired, I immediately took a job with a defense contractor and um, started having these nightmares. My work became affected. I ended up quitting that job, just basically 
jumped out of the airplane without a parachute looking back on it. I ended up in Sacramento <laughs> with my wife and ended up at Sacramento State University, got my degree in uh, education, my master's degree in education technology. But during that time, I, had, I became obsessed with this idea that I could find the motherload of our long-held family mining claim back up here in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got a bunch of camping gear and I made an expedition. My cousin and I went back for the summer. I went out and I found rocks that I predicted should be there based on my research. And lo and behold, there were. And I, and I did figure it out. There's a... Um, Just by going somewhere you thought would be fruitful, or did you kind of map douse it, or how did that manifest? Both. I, um, you know, I'm not a geologist or nothing, but you know, we have Google nowadays, and I Mm -hmm. was I was actually down there. So, and plus all the family history of um, the mining claim itself, and I was able to figure out that the source of our gold, which is really fine crystal, highly crystalline nanoparticles of gold and dirt. And our family was actually mining dirt, if you can believe that. And they lost more than they probably found, I'm sure. Because it would, if you, my grandpa told me if you look at it under the microscope, it looks like a snowflake. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking with my mind, I, you know, if that's true, then that gold hasn't traveled very far. It's got to be coming from somewhere really close. Well, as it turns out, the gold is originating from about 100 feet underneath the ground, and it's um, 154 million year old sea bottom, and we're sitting on top of an extinct camp of hydrothermal vents that had laid down mineral layers. And oh, okay. It's called, the yeah. Josephine, it's called the Josephina Theolite, and that's the name of the geology. And and it's just it's massive. There's a there's a um a mine about eight miles from my mine, and it's outside of the wilderness area. Mm-hmm. And they went in production two years ago, and they're they're scheduled to profit, take about $8 billion over the next eight years or six years now. Well, that's profitable. And, Why can't you do it on your land? And there's this tiny compared to what we have. It's, a, it's right in the wilderness. Uh, because no one in my family, because no one in my family wants to tear the wilderness up. Oh. It's that fucking simple, man. I, I am not going to my grave knowing I tore that wilderness up to make a buck, man. Because mm-hmm. this is some of the rarest um, geology on the whole planet. Uh huh. Because normally, when uh, con- when uh, tectonic plates collide, um, once the the basalt, you know, the ocean plates subduct underneath the continental plates. Right. Well, in this in this case, it got stuck on dry land, and that's what we have. We, okay. Mineral deposits from there. Yeah, I'm really, trying to really compare it to some of the uh, geology in the Sierra Nevadas, and they have uh, there's certain. Um, <laughs> Uh, if there's a quartz vein, I think that's also indicative there might be a gold vein because of the geology and the the history of the of California and especially the Sierras. You betcha. And so I was able to figure it out. Um, winter chased us off the mountain, and I ended up, you know, at this time, man, I, I had lost my wife, I had lost my job, I was broken, disillusioned. But for some reason, when I was back in the wilderness, um, I've never been a religious person, Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I started for some reason, I started to thank God out of this, out of the blue. And I would fucking cry when I meant it, when I said it, mm-hmm. and I was thanking him for my life, you know, for my creation. That's, that was it. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, cause that's all you were left that, with at life, that point. Yeah. My life started to improve suddenly. Huh. Um, for example, we, we'd be back there working. It was in the middle of summer, really hot. And I said, man, I sure like some ice cream. 
<laughs> or some beer or something. It, and you know what? The next day, ice cream and beer would show up. <laughs> yeah, from one of our friends would bring it up. Yeah, there's uh, so many examples like that. And we used to play games with it. My cousin and I, he would say something ran, random like marbles. And, and the, the next few days, marbles would make an appearance. Hmm. And it happened so often, and it's still, it's still happening. Is that just so is anyway, we, only when you're there or when uh, just w- when you guys are hanging out? I mean, do you, do you have to be the vector oh, you, for if, it? If I, if I think about something long and hard, it tends to happen for hmm. some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, I, so I, ended, I came off the mountain, ended up on a friend's ranch in a 1974 um, travel trailer. <laughs> you hmm. know, I was down and out. And the one day came along, and I'd been there a couple months already in the winter. He had a second rent, a second house for sale or uh, for rent on his property, but he ended up renting to someone that wanted to uh, grow marijuana on it. And I, I just couldn't touch that at all. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into town, and I'm going to find me a house. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. I, I went to eat, and I was looking on Craigslist for for sale by owner type things. Yep. Nothing. And the food came back. I ate, looked back on, and all of a sudden there was this house for sale. And the weird thing, Greg, is I knew the fucking house, man. I'd, I'd hmm. gotten there many times when I was a little kid. Oh, so you, 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 you yeah, you're starting to have time loops. <laughs> yeah, an old lady lived there that really liked me. My mom used to take me out there. Oh. So within, within a day, I was in escrow, and I, I bought it. It was like prime farmland, 20000 down, uh, 70000 sales price, note carried by the owner. And I, my intention was just, just to stay there because I had a real attachment to it because I grew up in that area, you know? Yeah. And when I was, once I was on my feet again, I started volunteering down here at the local golf course because I had heard that it was going bankrupt. And I was like, no, man, I'm going to go help. You know, I'm going to go volunteer. Yeah. Plus you get to and play golf so all I, you want when you're not helping. <laughs> yeah. And so I went down there and I, I did everything from night watering for free. And the last thing I did was reopen the kitchen. And about a year and a half ago now the story broke i was in serving a plate of food we had just opened and i'm not sure why but the news was on instead of golf channel and i saw the story break about commander fravor and they showed the tic-tac video which mm-hmm. i had seen the next day after this encounter and so i knew it was i knew it was exactly the same video i knew exactly what it was mm-hmm. i was so shocked i dropped a plate of food man mm-hmm. it really shook me up so I, I went home and I went on the internet to figure out what the hell was going on. Uh, Robert Powell from Scientific Coalition of UFOlogy, SCU. Yep. He, he had posted something on YouTube and I just dropped a, a post on the comment section and say, hey, I was there, contact me, man. I want to tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. And he did. And I ended up in a Facebook group on um, called ATIP. And a lot of us became friends and uh, Dave, a, a gentleman by the name of Dave Beatty, he's the one that created the Nimitz Encounters video. I don't know if you, have you seen that? Yes, I did. I was at the SCU when they showed it. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're all friends now. And we ended up uh, um, creating, a, just last month, we ended up creating a nonprofit company called UAP Expeditions. Yeah. I was gonna, the CEO that... of the, it's, it's all volunteer. Uh-huh. But we've got some real top-notch people on the boats, man. And the whole plan is to go back out there and find these things using high-tech. Yeah. Uh, 
Deep told me about a little bit, and I said, could you describe to me how it came about, and then maybe you could do this, how it came about, um, why the people that are in the group are in the group. You don't even have to name if you don't want to. And then maybe if you can, you're kind of the idea behind it and the methodology and what you hope to accomplish with it. I want I want to go out there and um, with a, a team of people whose credentials are unquestionable, and I want to capture data that's unquestionable, and then hand it back to the SCU and say, "You guys figure out what we just found." <laughs> I mean, we got we got technology that's fascinating, man. It, there's there's one thing is called the uh, um, night vision photodiode binoculars, for example. Yep. If you look at a a jet, you know, flying in the sky, the um, the image turns into sound. It, there's this, it, it turns into sound, and then you can turn the sound back into images. And no. we hope to use that to, to film these things, and not only film them, but also, I don't know if we should publish this or not, because I don't want to get in trouble, but um, <laughs> we, hope, we, we, we hope this will be the modality that we're able to actually talk to these things. Oh, through, yeah, th- by by um, using something that can be understood from our point of view, meaning yeah. a- anything, well, and, it, it, and it's not language, and it's not, um, and it's not uh, no using pictures or anything, it's using some other kind of technology to go back and forth as a, as a kind of high-tech telephone almost. Yeah, for example, we send a, a photograph of our position in the solar system and see if they respond with theirs. Uh-huh. Or we send the first four numbers of the Fibonacci sequence and see if they send the next four, you know? Right. That if it actually happens and we capture it, that no one's going to be able to deny it. I bet you'll Undeniable. get something, but it'll make sense, I, but not in the way you want it to. <laughs> and that's fine. Hey, you know, that's fine. The, you know, the answers are the answers. Yeah. And um, all of us are sober people, and we know we could go out there and strike out completely, but it's not going to stop us from trying, I'll tell you that. Yeah, the other thing I asked Deep about was the people that are going, because he said, well, me and then, you know, of course, um, uh, of Kevin and um, a couple of the other people, we've all had these experiences. And I said, well, do you think maybe that's kind of, you've got a uh, some sort of um, beacon or bait going on there? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we're trying to get the things, that, whatever the phenomenon's attention is, by something that has interfaced with it before. Yeah, and there's new tech. In fact, in my personal belief that 2004 encounter off San Diego, the whole reason why we were suddenly able, did I lose you? No, no, I'm still here. Okay. Yeah. My view is we had just, and this is my speculation. I'm going to speculate. Please. The ship had um, received the top secret upgrade to our spy radar system and our CE, our cooperative engagement system and the whole nine yards. And I didn't even know about it. I had no idea it even happened because I only had a secret clearance. I had no need to know. Right. I think I think that upgrade that we got suddenly allowed us to see something that had been there for a long, 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 long time. And that's just my own personal speculation. And so we're taking similar technologies out there again next in 2020 in the same time of the year. Because I think the, the I think there is a pattern here of yeah. some kind. Yeah. And and we're just going to see what we come up with. So you're going to have some, at all, but. yeah, you have something similar to to the cooperative engagement. Um, there's something yeah, else. I think yeah, it's yeah. it's something that uh, also is part of the cooperative engagement that spoofs the uh, the enemy's um, defenses, making them think there's a lot more things going We've on. We got some cool. We got some cool technologies. 
In fact, I'll send I'll send you our uh, planning document that's got all the technologies we have okay. listed on it. Yeah, I'd love to contact. see it. Yeah, yeah. deep deep. Also... I got a bunch of stuff to send you. Go ahead. I got a bunch of stuff to send you. Okay. So, um, and frankly, right now, as because we're just getting started. I mean, this is really just starting to ramp up. In yeah. fact, we don't even have our crowdfunding in place. And Kevin Knuth, the professor out of uh, SUNY in Albany, he's a physics professor. Have you talked to him yet? He has been on my show. I talked to him oh, yeah, ex- right. yeah, quite a bit. Right. And he's doing the grant request. So, but you know what? I, Greg, I have to tell you, I don't think we're going to have any problem at all raising the money we need because we're an all-volunteer team. And most of our costs are log- logistical. And it, it sounds expensive, but... I think for like a hundred K or less, maybe we can actually pull this off mm-hmm. and that should be pretty easy to raise. I would have to think because man, people are interested in the story, man. It just won't go away. If yeah. anything is increasing. Yeah. What do you do with, yeah. What do you do with people who offer you money with strings attached? You just tell them to go take a hike. Uh, we deal with it at the board level. You know, I, I tell our board of directors all the time, say, man, guys, you, I might be called the CEO, but this isn't my company. This is ours. This belongs to all of us equally. We're basically a democracy here. And I, my vote is always going to be with the will of the, with, with the will of the board, you know? So mm-hmm. we're in, we're, so, and we've, we've had that happen. We've had people try to join and we, um, we decided whether or not we're going to allow them, you know, just between us all. Yeah, well, what you should do, which is probably what you did, was just go out and find people. Nobody, not somebody that's asking, but somebody that you had to go out and say, "Look, this person has the, this person has the profile we need for this part of whatever we're doing." I think that's that sounds like what you were doing. Um, it's exactly what I did. Like, um, like Deep Prasad, right? Um, Danny Silva did an article called uh, "Silicon Valley UFO Hunters." Yeah, I saw it. That, yeah, right? I read that one. Yeah, it, so I saw Deep there, and I reached out to him and explained who I was and. Right away, he was on the team. He was like, "Man, I've been waiting for this." <laughs> of course, he has, yeah, and I, I didn't know he's he. Really bad. Yeah, he's very sharp. I didn't know. You know, at first, I thought he was. You know, I was like, "Who's this guy?" I think he knows everything. And then I realized after he put that tweet up about having that experience in his room in February, I knew exactly why he was so in. You know, uh, into the subject suddenly and really wanted to know about it. And the, you know, it's the way his mind works. It's, yeah, he's a I want to know everything about it yeah, right now. Um, yep. Well, so, it shook him up pretty good, I would have to think. Oh, it definitely did. And I said, did anything happen yeah. before this? And he told me about a couple other things. Actually, I think, did we, did we go over that yet? Did anything happen to you before November of 2004? Or was that the first time you ever had anything kind of weird happen in your life? Uh, I have to say, no, it was... I would, pretty normal guy man i've never been a ufo guy or anything although i've listened to coast to coast since the 90s you know I've kind of an armchair interest mm-hmm. i was never an act researcher never had any ufo encounters i was just in the right place at the wrong time or right place at the <laughs> right time. i don't know well it and seems it, like the right this, time because things are working out this way as we're discussing right i know now. and so this thing chose me man <laughs> i didn't choose it I'd be perfectly happy being back in the wilderness right now, um, <laughs> doing some more geology work. Or something, you know, yeah. If this wasn't happening, that's probably where I'd be. Yeah, yeah. So, besides the um, um, seeing things that are going to happen, has anything else happening? Any other changes in your life besides the obvious things, like you said, your, your yeah, marriage um, and your job and all that? But you know, uh, other yeah, effects. I, so, 
I started uh, volunteering uh, at the golf course, and this is before this was like 2015 to 2017 time period. Mm-hmm. And I met a gentleman down there. His name was Robert Musquick. He's passed. Um, he was an older guy, and we kind of bonded because he had served in Pearl Harbor, and I had served in Pearl Harbor, and he was there during the the um, Pearl Harbor attack on Pearl Harbor. Wow! So I used to come see him at his house and all the time, and I didn't know it at the time, but he had told his family. He said, hey, when I pass, give Kevin a chance to buy my house. Hmm. So when he passed, that's exactly what happened. I ended up selling my house out in Honolulu in four hours, all cash, <laughs> for um, $175,000. And I paid two years ago $70,000. And right down to the penny, I almost didn't get the loan. Man. It was that close. Hmm. I got the loan, I bought the house, and I'm now living in one of the sweetest houses in the whole damn town. One of the best properties in the whole town. Well, it might and, have been a result of, of the, did you guys talk about what happened? Uh, 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 out, uh, did you talk about the Nimitz oh, incident? Never. Prince? Oh, okay. Never. Hmm. never. I, I, I told, the only ones I ever talked to about this once after 2000, 2008, 2009 period when I was really frustrated was like my cousin and my dad and stuff like that. I never really talked about it. Actually, basically had forgotten about it. There's nobody else that was on the, in your team or on the crew with you that you had talked to or uh, that, that about what they went through or you, did you think you were the only one that it was, that this was happening to? Oh no, this, everyone in, everyone on the ship knew about it. Um, Especially guys that did my job, you know, we're up in combat information center and I think everyone was kind of like me. They were just frustrated that that the Navy didn't do shit about it. They didn't seem to care, mm-hmm. which was really hard to accept because I went through 9-11, man. I, I went through all the Bush Wars, and no one expected 9-11 to happen, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, at the very least, these objects, whatever they are, they're a safety of flight risk, and also they're, they could start an accidental encounter or accidental shooting war. Yeah. And I, I couldn't figure out why the Navy didn't seem to care about it. Isn't that our job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you talk to anybody else about this and how they felt about, one, that situation, and two, any kind of change in them? Or did you, you know, kind of just shut okay. it off after you've, after you've retired? I kind of shut it off. <clears throat> but um, recently, and this is one of the subject areas that uh, most people are very reluctant to admit to or talk about even. Mm-hmm. But there was... I'm finding out now that there were several of us that were affected kind of like I was. And I can later on, I'll connect you with them if you want. Yeah, sure. I'd I'd love to talk to them, even if they're not going to come on the show. What fascinated me, and I've been telling uh, people about this, is that usually in a UFO encounter, somebody that has a very lasting uh, effect on their lives and their psyche and, and other things like you're having in your... They're right next to whatever it is. You were, what, 20, 30 miles away from whatever was going on? You were just seeing it on the radar, right? And then you said you yeah, saw it in the binoculars. Yeah, I was probably, as far as I could tell, I was the first guy to see him because that was my job, you know? Uh-huh. And after the Commander Fravor intercept, the Tic Tac, you know, the one on the, the video, mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I've, I've seen these things on radar. We've brought down our system. We've ran diagnostic tests. We know these things are real. Mm-hmm. We've got visual eyeballs on them you know they're definitely real but i want to see one myself so i went back up to combat one one of the days on 
found one. There was lo and behold, another group out there. I found one close and I went, ran up to the bridge and I, um, went to the bearing range altitude and found it in the sky. And honestly, it was just a boring white light. Mm-hmm. I was kind of disappointed actually. I wanted to do something. <laughs> just, yeah. Cause one of my fellow chiefs was, he had watch up on the bridge and mm-hmm. for the last several days, every time these groups came, I would tell him where they were and he was watching them through the big eyes. One of the guys I want to connect you with. And he was watching them doing some, um, maneuvers and stuff that can only be described as non-Newtonian the way they were moving. Yeah. I mean, this is, this and, is movement that's been described with UFOs since the beginning of people reporting them. <laughs> yeah. You know, n- so yeah, I did, I did see him and, I know there's been some people say, no way, there's no one that saw him on the ship. They're a hundred miles away, which is true, but you got to remember San Clemente Island was to the North of us and mm-hmm. we we're off um, the coast of San Diego. And these things all traveled to the South. Um, and they all, every one of them, by the way, disappeared over Guadalupe Island, right. which is why Lou Elizondo went out there when I told him where they had all disappeared. Oh, like, to talk to the, the, to the fishermen and stuff. Yeah, that's the reason why he was there, based on what I told him, right? Right, right. And so when they passed us, they were only about 30, 40 miles when they passed us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're kind of mid midway on their journey south. Right. And they, although we detected them about 100 miles away, they they basically threw, flew through our airspace. You could see them clearly. At that same slow speed, because um, so I think you or somebody told me, or maybe it was at SCU, that when Fravor and the other people went to look at them, they did all these weird things and moved out of the way. And after the, after they left, it was kind of like a flock of birds. They all just kind of went back into a group and continued on their way at that slow exactly. speed. I, I describe them as a super capable flock of birds. <laughs> and they just wanted to be, and they just wanted to be left the hell alone. If you can imagine throwing a pebble into a flock of birds, they'll scatter. Yeah. Then they'll regroup and they'll take off and do what they were doing. Right. That's exactly how these things reacted. Is there a connection? Because I know that you have a marine biologist that's going with you. What is the angle right. with the whale um, connection? I, I still haven't been able to well, figure out what, why that, why that connection a, was made. It's just, it's just a research hypothesis because um, of my description of how these things um, behave to me, they seem, they behave like a flock of birds migrating. Mm-hmm. They were, yeah. From, and, and based on that, Maybe there's a connection. Maybe that's true. Maybe they're following the wells. Because, and the reason why that came up is because at one point, Commander Fravor spotted a disturbance down on the water. And I'm sure you've heard about it. Yes. He went chasing it, and, there, and we never figured out what it was. We thought it may have been a downed aircraft, but whatever that disturbance was, it was connected to that tic-tac somehow because the tic-tac object was right above it. And it was moving around like um, Commander Fravor described it as a ping pong a ping pong ball bouncing off walls, you know, it was moving around erratically. It did a, a little maneuver with him, but I can that's described as a dog fight. I kind of gotten a little maneuver with it mm-hmm. and that just took off. Um, it ended up going from where he was about 60 miles away to his combat air patrol station, which is just a notional point in the sky that everyone knows about. And that's the point where the pilots kind of hang out and said they get tasking or an order to do something. Yeah. Circle. This object went, this object went directly and exactly to his cat position. Mm-hmm. Now, how in the because how it's, did that happen? You know, yeah, because it's I interacting mean, with I his mean, how, thoughts. Maybe who knows? Yeah, or yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, these things were um, these things were definitely non-hostile. 
mm-hmm. I will defend on that point. They, I, we never, I personally never felt any type of threat at, at all. Just the opposite, in fact. That's, and they were the apparently pressing. They, they were apparently pressing. They could kind of, they knew stuff, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, people have described that, you know, where were things were going to be or um, what was going to happen next and, and, and anticipating it. These are some of the things that happened on uh, that people describe from the um, Skinwalker Ranch, too. Um, yeah. Whatever it is. Phenomenon. Yeah. Seems to be aware of what you're thinking, what you're going to do. Um, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, you and you, how, you, you how say that that was operate that was operative during th- these incidents as well, obviously. Absolutely was. Absolutely uh, was. Can you give an example? Well, the, well, you just gave one. one. Okay, but another one. Yeah. Uh, no, that's probably my best, only and best example actually, and which is probably good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how do you, how do you any logical? scientific minded person explain that. Yeah. How in the hell did this thing know where the cap station was? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, and so, right on it too. Right? I mean, exact altitude, exact Latin long and just hovered there. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, interesting stuff. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I so I, I hate to, to bring it up again, but you said that they traveled like um, something that was, you know, a flock of birds or something where <laughs> that seems a, to make a connection to whale pods seems like a, a, uh, with that information seems tenuous. Was there something else that kind of pointed you in that direction? Oh, and, and, and No, it is. It's, it's just a, um, and I don't want to make too much of it. It's just a, one of the research hypotheses that uh, Kevin Canoose wants to investigate while we're there. Okay. To, you know, either either close out the possibility or encourage us to research it farther. Oh, it's so just, was this an intuitive thing, or was it based on something yeah, somebody just, saw? We're operating on a hunch. Okay, that's that's yeah, totally you legit. I'm curious, and and that's how big discoveries are made. You know, you yeah, you yeah. notice something odd, and you look into it, and all of a sudden that odd thing you notice turns into a new discovery. At right. Time. Oh no, 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 that, that's so legit. That, that's, pos- that's possible here. Yeah. And. But there might not be any connection. We don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna check it out. Right. We're gonna have two research vessels. One will be anchored off the. Um, there's a little cove off San Clemente Island. We're mm-hmm. gonna do that to save fuel. That'll be observing the sky, and we'll have another research vessel underway, um, transmitting and recording sounds in the water, and we'll just see what the data tells us. Right. Right. Yeah. We're so hoping it, to collect data. Yeah. He also said that there's a if you get radar jammed, that's another because he said Fravor and other people were jammed on their radar while they were uh, while while they were engaging. Um, yeah, and you know what? Based on the the Navy's rules of engagement uh, (ROE), getting actively jammed is actually a ho- considered a hostile act, and we can like if I'm overseas and I'm in a hostile war zone and I get jammed, I can shoot. You know, mm-hmm. no question. Right. But in this case. I'm not sure it was a hostile act at all. I think it was just maybe a, um, an effect of the technology itself, you know, and it was, it was uh, not meant to be hostile in other words, but his, his uh, receivers on the, on his aircraft definitely um, according to him. And I have every reason to believe him because uh, David Fravor is one of the best damn pilots the Navy's ever produced. Mm-hmm. He's, <laughs> I mean, like, 
yeah. top shelf all the way to top gun pilot the whole nine yards right and if he says it happened then by god it it freaking happened uh-huh. you know there's no question about it so but the reason why they got jam i don't know i these things never exhibited any sort of hostile intent whatsoever and that was my job to be able to tell that you know yeah yeah any anything else going on in your life besides the i said i think you said, mentioned something about a dog or something like that that had, that had a a, a yeah, cyst my, my, or a tumor or something like that. That, that yeah, was a very yeah, strange thing for me to hear. Really weird, you know, because I, I didn't know anything about um, Jacques Vallée and Eric Davis before all this happened. Mm-hmm. But they wrote a paper, and I found it after um, I had hooked up with Robert Powell and I hooked up with a Facebook group. I started doing my own research. And they wrote a paper some time ago. It was called Incommensurability in the Physics of High Strangeness. And in that document, they lay out six layers of um, post effects that happen to people after encounters, mm-hmm. and uh, healing healing is one of them. Um, just and just out of just as a joke, my cousin, we were sitting there, and the, my dog comes up. He's got a big, huge cyst on the side of his mouth. He says, "Hey, why don't you heal him?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I'll try." <laughs> So I, I put my I put both hands on him and I meant it as as well as I could. Hey, you're healed, you know. And the next day it was all done. How long had it been there before? Just like for months or something? Years? No, no, no. Just a couple of days. Oh, okay. But so it's very it's very likely that it was just a coincidence. I'm not going to suggest or insinuate True. that yeah. I'm a healer by. It's just something that happened that was kind of weird, you know. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened. In fact, I haven't tried it. It's the only time I ever tried it. Has anybody contacted you from anywhere that uh, said, well, you're, you know, we're, we want to use you for whatever, for some research project besides the one that you're doing? I, I think you hinted uh, at I, that in the book. Outside of the entertainment world, I have to say no. Mm. And I have to tell you, Greg, um, if the government ever did come and visit me and say, Hey, Kevin, man, we love you, you know, but you got to shut up about this. That's exactly what I would do. Greg, because I strongly support our national security apparatus and I'm a Patriot and serve my country. And if I would, sorry, that's my phone. <laughs> Let me throw it away. There we go. And so if, if that ever happened, I would, you would never hear from me again. I would say, I, I, you know, you have your reasons and I respect it and I'll shut up, but it hasn't happened. Well, maybe you're doing what you're supposed to by not shutting up. I think so. I think that was the reason why those two guys came to visit me in 2015 to, to let me know. Was, Cause here's one thing that Shakate told me. He said right before I only knew him for like two weeks and I didn't know at the time, but the last time I ever, had ever seen him, he looks me right in the eye and he was, he was crying like really emotional. He mm-hmm. said, Kevin, you are incredibly important to what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. I thought he was fucking nuts, man. I didn't know what to think. So I just kind of brushed it off as more weird. But based on that, when it when it did happen, I kind of felt encouraged it was okay to speak out. You know, mm-hmm. He left me enough hints. He left other hints, too. He said he some, somehow he knew he had learned or knew about my ability to seemingly be able to manifest stuff. Because another thing he told me, he says, man, we, the, our only real concern is we don't want you to make a continental plate slip into the ocean. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, and it was just a hint that 
he knew something about me that he couldn't exactly tell me at the time. I don't know why, but he left me enough hints. They left me enough hints that I was able to figure it all out later. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what somebody's trying to get you to realize something and teach you something does. They don't tell you what's going on. They give you hints. What was the name you used? It it nudged me in the right direction too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. His name was Shakate. It's a, it's a, it's a character from Genghis Khan novel. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And his part, his partner went by the name of Forrest and I'm absolutely certain they were made up names, but that's what they went by. Oh, okay. Okay. I tell you what, if I, if I ever saw these guys again, I would hug them both, shake their hands. <laughs> no, their their visit really helped me. Their their visit was key to the reason why I'm talking to you right now. Right, it it gave you um, context and direction. I think. Yeah, they and it just gave me a feeling that when this thing actually did happen, it was going to be okay for me to talk. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, know who they were. Yeah. What are you going to do with the information that you get from the uh, expedition? Is that uh, is that going to be freely available to everybody? Oh uh, yeah. Okay. You, you bet it is. In fact, we're we're sending it. In fact, we're sending it real time off the ship. We're going to have um, each ship's going to have two separate independent satellite internet connections. Mm-hmm. Oh, and redundance. Our, our concern is our concern is something happens to the ships and the data is lost. So as soon as we receive it, we're going to transmit it back to the beach, right? Yeah. Um, so that it's it's safe and it's secure. And the first place is going is to the SU, the Scientific Coalition for UFOlogy. Mm-hmm. Th- those guys got like seventy or so top-notch physicists that are just waiting for our data. They want to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I've 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 talked and, to some you know, of Bruce, them. Bruce, yeah, Bruce Maccabee and Kevin Knuth are on it, and a bunch of other folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maccabee's been around since I think he's been doing this since the seventies. Um, yeah, he's a a former NASA optical physicist, among yeah. other things. I've spoken to him a couple of times. Yep. In in the past. Um. Well, I, I've I've uh, plowed through all the questions I wanted to ask you, and a few extra ones. Um, would you come back on after uh, as it gets closer to the expedition, or after to after to maybe do a debrief with us? Hell yeah, I will. I would love to hear about it. Um, yeah. And, this coming year and the year after that is going to be fascinating because there's some other news that I, I'm not at liberty to tell you, mm-hmm. but I, I think we've got our expedition funded. Okay, excellent. By very well, but by, by a very well-known person. And that's that's as far as I can say it. Okay, I'll and it's and, it, and it's not Bigelow. <laughs> no, no Bigelow. Okay, <laughs> I think he's done with whatever you guys are doing and on to other things. And uh, so we, we we are basically working in parallel with uh, TTSA to the Stars Academy. And I got Lou on email. And he, if I re- email and he responds, you know, he came to my house mm-hmm. and Tommy came to my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're a nonprofit. They're they're a for profit um, public benefit company. Right. So they've got they've got some little steeper challenges than we, than we have because they got to pay bills. Yeah, well, they're, they've got a different yeah they've got a different model of how they're going to go about things, and it's based on that everybody in that group where they came from and what their background is. Your group is a little yeah, different. They, it's they, not like all it's not all intelligence and government scientists and and people like that. It's it's uh, more um, civilian research based. Yeah, and all volunteer. Yeah, that too significantly reduces costs, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
everybody that comes on the show gets to pick the music I play at the end. What do you What do you want me to play at the end of the interview? Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, who does that? Five Five Finger Death Punch. I'll send you the song. Oh, okay, okay. Later when I get home. All right, thank you. I just can't remember the name of the song. Oh, okay. They're a rock band that I really like. Thanks so much, uh, Kevin. It's not elevator music. No, no, I don't What's want elevator that? music on this show. No, it's not <laughs> elevator music. It's pretty good rock and roll, yeah. All right, I love it. Thanks so much, and uh, please keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. I will, brother. Thank you. Thank right. you for the opportunity, and let's get this story out. All right, thanks, okay, Kevin. All right, bye. bye.